your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome to Off Tackle Empire. Off Tackle Empire and the Internet's premier Big Ten college football uh, smack talk podcast, and we're here for Rivalry Week in review. Hatred Week, Mild Dislike Week, Passive Aggressive Week, uh, Don't Particularly Care About the Game Week. There we go. Now he's got it. He's going to say sooner or later he's going to scroll down to the level of emotional involvement I had for Michigan State, Maryland. Uh, He started about 12 notches too high and then dialed it all the way down to the absolute zero of passion. Well, that's Andrew Kuszewski, I'm Steve Braun, and we're going to open up a Win Fight Tribe Brewster of the Week, which is from Founders in Grand Rapids, Underground Mountain Brown, because you know what lives underground? Gophers. You know what's going back underground for a hot second? Gophers. After browning their field thoroughly, uh, the very least, they're going to uh, presumably be a little bit quieter about their transitive win over Wisconsin now. Yeah, once you have the direct data points, kind of hard to talk the same level of smack. Although, it was pretty interesting exactly how quickly their collective fan base pivoted to you know, away from we are the greatest, hail us, to we're just enjoying the ride, leave us alone. Like, you, you, can't, you can't be as loud as you were for as long as you were and not expect to catch a little bit of flack, if you'll pardon the turn of phrase, once things go south. Weird flack, but okay. Yes, this is, yeah, it's extremely rich and rather decadent. And so is this beer. Speaking of, uh, speaking of weird Midwestern feelings, Iowa versus Nebraska. Iowa won out in the end uh, 27-24 in a kind of a bizarre game that didn't seem like Iowa just uh, was playing for overtime from the start of the third quarter. With a massive, with a couple score lead, yeah, they started playing. For, they started playing for a tie. Can can we please just lock these two fan bases in a room with each other so they can either kill or or completely orgy upon each other because y'all are just intolerable. And it most of the time, it's contained to this year because Iowa gets distracted by being surrounded on all sides by rivals, and Nebraska is just kind of sitting there stewing in their own anger about not restoring their glory from the 90s so they don't really lash out all that much that i see but then when it gets to iowa week there really is like honestly it's there's not a quadrangle of hate there's a triangle of hate with a spoke coming off of one point that is iowa and that's the nebraska iowa connection because you don't feel this kind of animosity when nebraska plays minnesota or when they play wisconsin but it's definitely there for iowa yeah so um Iowa's schedule in the future should be this every year, okay? It should be, it should be home Iowa State at Nebraska, home against Minnesota at Iowa State, <laughs> home against Nebraska, uh, let's see, at Wisconsin, home against Iowa State. Uh, basically, my point is that there needs to be like four games a year against Nebraska and Iowa State. And then maybe you get a crack at, at Minnesota and Wisconsin every now and then. Yeah. That's also, we'll play Northwestern because it's really stupid. 
Right. So, I mean, talk, speaking of stupid, like, if you look at the box score in this game, at least just in terms of points, you would probably assume that these were offenses that worked reasonably well. That was mostly because, especially in Iowa's case, because of a handful of explosive plays. But on a play-by-play basis, this was a complete slog. Uh, starting quarterbacks combined to go exactly 50%. That's 21 for 42. Their combined yardage, 149 yards and two interceptions, zero touchdowns. Is this game not the exact model of Nate Stanley's career? Because he, on his own, sub-50% passing, under 100 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception, but they won the game. And if they hadn't let their foot off the gas a little bit in the second half, they probably would have won comfortably. It, you know, Over the course of this season, I've seen the occasional Twitter musing, mostly from Iowa media types, and typically after Iowa wins, commenting that, oh man, once Nate Stanley's gone, people are going to realize what they've got here. And I'm like, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Like, he feels to me like, is he really going to be viewed much differently than James Vandenberg was? I can't see it. Yeah, I can't either. And it, like, if, if Iowa had had even Jake Rudock level of quarterback production, which I think was, I think was a half tick higher than Stanley. Maybe I'm misremembering exactly, but... Not even like what C.J. Beathard gave him for a couple of years, but if they just got what Jake Rudock gave him these last few years, I think they go to Indy at least once. Yeah, it seems like Stanley produced numbers, but they were more of a result of a shift in offensive philosophy than his ability comparative to, you know, the, the previous line of Iowa quarterbacks. Yeah, and it, I feel as though if we look this up, he's he has to be... If not the leader, then certainly top three in all-time career attempt pass attempts at Iowa. Like I, I would bet he's number one on that list. If only because there haven't been many other quarterbacks that played as many games for Iowa as he did. Yeah, and and doesn't it always seem like 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 you spent his whole career with like like because he was good as a prep you know you know when he first was starting. Okay, he was very good considering his lack of experience. He is exactly that good now. With a whole bunch of experience, yeah. And, you know, this is gonna when we get to MSU's game, this is the theme we're going to come back to, which is that, man, this senior class of quarterbacks in the Big Ten really could have been something, and it really wasn't. I mean, Hornerbrook is gone. Stanley kind of underwhelmed. You could say the team performed well enough around him that he was fine. Um, Lewerke's been a huge disappointment. Shea Patterson's definitely the best of the bunch, but he didn't check any of the boxes Michigan envisioned when they brought him to town so i mean it just the offensive play overall should have been a lot better from the big 10 than i thought it ended up being He's when, he, when he debuted as a game manager there was just always the expectation that he was going to become more and he just never seemed to do it no and it was one thing when he had noah fant and tj hawkinson but it's not like iowa doesn't have any talent this year like amir smith marset would be at least a contributor on every team in the conference. He would be the number one at most teams. Well, he scored half of Iowa's points. Yeah, well, and that's these aren't the only explosive plays he's had this season. Like, he's been a reliable big play threat all season. Tyrone Tracy's been quietly a breakout player. I mean, if I'm thinking elsewhere, like, might Tyrone Tracy actually be kind of a dark horse candidate for... Offensive freshman of the year, I think there's a case to be made. If anybody's going to beat him out from that, it might be Tyler Goodson, honestly. So, and speaking of Goodson, there's a decent stable running backs here. It's not like there's nothing left, is my point. I mean, the tight end production obviously fell off a cliff, 
and they adjusted to, uh, for that to their credit. They don't target the tight ends nearly as much as they did because the, these guys are not what they had last year. <sighs> was there even a point I was trying to angle at with all this? Well, I guess we can kind of zoom back into the micro of this game, which is that Iowa's offense went into nine wins achieved mode at halftime before that nine win was actually achieved because their first five drives after halftime, five consecutive punts, and four of those were three and outs. And the one that wasn't a three and out was a lost fumble. And then on their, their last drive, they got just enough yardage to put them in position for a difficult field goal given the win conditions. And sure enough, they hit it and they win with a field goal, which what more Iowa way is there? I think, wasn't Keith Duncan the leading scorer in all of college football this year because of the number of field goals he kicked? I believe so. Um, and that drive was set up by, you know, the fact that Nebraska tried to stop them and then successfully got the ball back and then wasn't sure if they wanted to go for the win or not. Um because yeah. they, they were rotating quarterbacks all game, I you know it didn't make any sense to me that they had that they bothered to call timeouts to get the ball back with under a minute left and then put in Martinez instead of uh, Luke McCaffrey, who clearly I thought, thought had the bigger arm and the better was the better downfield passer, but instead yeah. they put in Martinez, who then on second and long ran a designed quarterback run out of an empty set and then ran it out of bounds. If, again, if you're trying to set up a win there, that's it's just like basic clock management. And the temptation for me is still to think of Martinez as oh, a young quarterback who's going to learn. He's halfway through his career now because he's not bowling again. So this, like, at some point, the guy's got to take a step forward if they're going to be what everyone expected him to be. Because I mean, when he debuted, it was the most exciting player splash Nebraska's had since Taylor Martinez. Yep. For all his shortcomings, Team Magic certainly had. His had big games, had improved somewhat. I mean, he was never a good passer, but I don't think you have to be in the kind of offense Nebraska's always preferred to run. You just, like, it's the decision-making and your control of the offense as a whole still has to improve, even if your throwing mechanics don't necessarily. So Iowa went from, like, about 93.3% chance of winning this game at, like, uh, at halftime to, to then having a 40% chance of winning the game to then winning it. Yeah. I guess if you're, if you're looking for positives in this, the Iowa defense really stood tall here because despite Nebraska running 79 plays in which included 56 runs, um, they still didn't get 300 yards of full yeah, offense. That's, that's incredible. 79 plays for 284 yards. Um, of course, one of the touchdowns was a pick six. Yeah, so that'll you'll if you're wondering how do you run that many plays and still get that few yard that little yardage and you know that amount of points, that's how it works out. All so. over Twitter, I was seeing that you know Iowa fans dancing on Nebraska's grave, saying that they just you know oh Nebraska's totally given up now. And then well, it just so happened it looks kind of like uh, Iowa just sort of assumed the same thing there in the third quarter. Yeah, when there was too much time left on the clock for that kind of thing. And that's not the first time this happened in the conference this year. Hi, Illinois. Um, but, you know, and I'm not just talking about the two wins either. I mean, the Michigan near turnaround was just because it. the fact that you're substantially better doesn't mean that you can stop playing with that much time left. Like, the other guys are still division one athletes. They're trying to win the game, too. They're yeah. trying to prove something. They're playing for respect. Yeah, so. And Nebraska, you know. They're only down two scores. I'm interested to see 
what the off-season narrative around Nebraska becomes. I mean, I, I can't imagine they're going to get the credit they did last season because Scott Frost, for all of his promise, he's not Jim Harbaugh, for example, where he's just going to get the benefit of the doubt year after year for no real reason other than he is who he is and he's wearing the hat that he's wearing. It doesn't feel like Frost is going to get that kind of that kind of love. So well, I'm that's also not, not, I mean, winning nine games a year is not the same thing as... As, fail, as failing to make a bowl in the yeah. first two, right? It's not. And man, like, if you want to say, well, what's the big deal between making a bowl and not making a bowl? When, when you're this early in your tenure and half the roster is still not your guys, you do need those. Like, those bowl practices are valuable. Like, I tend to think that's kind of an overblown thing. Like, when MSU beat Maryland, it's like, oh gosh, now with all these young players are run on offense, they get those extra practices. I'm like, I'm not sure I want any of these offensive coaches allowed to speak to the players at this point, honestly. So when you're at the point MSU's coaching staff is at, I kind of shrug at that. But in your, you know, here where, where Frost is after a couple of years, there's still value that would have accrued there, I think. So that being said, we'll, uh, we look at some bowl projections before we started. We'll know the truth of this pretty soon, but... I mean, I, I think that's the one thing that's clear is I was definitely not going to the Outback Bowl because I'm pretty sure they're like they're they're on a travel ban list from going to Tampa at this point because the bowl committee has seen them there so many times. But what I'm looking at hasn't gone to the Holiday Bowl. That'd be pretty decent. Yeah, um, be cool if they played uh, Herm Edwards there. Uh, this I'm looking at Athlon Sports and they have them playing Washington, which just had their coach uh, step away for. Unclear reasons. I'm really and I've got millions in the bank. Reasons. Yeah, why am I still doing this? I mean, that's I'm I'm always a little bit surprised that more successful coaches play out the string as far as they do. I mean, again, to bring it back to my school, I do wonder exactly what else D'Antonio really thinks he has left to prove, other than that he can do the great things he did again. Like it, I don't know. I don't understand why guys with as much money as most college coaches have work as long as they do. Isn't the goal of getting the money to be able to have the boat or the other thing that you need the money for? I mean, as soon as I have the money for, not a boat, because boats are a nightmare, but for... You live in Michigan. Yes, it's for the boat. No, it's not. It's to to be in enough nice restaurants that I can make friends with people who themselves have boats. You You don't want a boat. You want a friend with a boat. Just like... You don't want Bernese Mountain Dogs. You want friends with Bernese Mountain Dogs so you can go and frolic with them and then turn the care of these 120-pound animals over to the person who owns them. <laughs> That's what a boat is to me. I was going to say a similar thing about huskies. Oh. You are too. Did I do a dog racism against uh. you? Well, you're very oblivious to my dog racism. I love huskies. I don't ever want to have one. Yeah, never again. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I heard. <laughs> Speaking of never again, uh, Ohio State never losing to Michigan again. It kind of feels that way. Yeah. Um, so this seemed possible. Yeah, Wolverines actually seem farther away from the Buckeyes than last year. Yeah, and it didn't look like that initially, but by the end of the game, there was no doubt that and. This obviously has been the topic of conversation in the Detroit sports market, even with the Lions 
once again doing that because that was on Thanksgiving and it was Thursday. That's like farther away, so people just kind of put that aside. It was all it's been all Michigan Ohio State today, and the thing that's been commented on is like Harbaugh. So this is the end of year five for Harbaugh that we're at now. When they brought him in, obviously the program was behind Ohio State, behind Michigan State too, but the Spartans kind of fell back on of their own accord, to be honest. But the primary reason that he came here, that they paid him this bushel of money, gave him carte blanche to do whatever he wanted, including oversigning, including hiring players' parents and high school coaches. The reason he's allowed to do all those things was to narrow the gap with Ohio State and overtake and put Michigan back at the top of the conference. They're farther away now from doing that than they were when he got here. Well, not to mention, I don't think that Harbaugh has caught where Michigan State was from 2013 to 2015. No, that spot's just, it's either vacant or Penn State is sitting in it. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily like those are hard and fast spots. I'm just saying, like, Michigan State punched with Urban Meyer for... Uh, Most of the time he was years. there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, yeah, for, well, yeah, really for for about three years. Um, as programs, they seemed like roughly equal. Um, Which, given the talent deficit on paper, was remarkable. Was a remarkable thing. But the fact that Harbaugh can't do that, can't even really get close, um, is kind of well. I don't know. I mean. You have to beat Ohio State at some point. It's so simple to say that, but man. Well, here's the question, though. Or what? Or what? Are they going to fire him? Is are, is there still a line of NFL teams? Of course there is, because the NFL is the most unimaginative league in the world. There's still, I mean, there's still higher. Like Steve Wilkes got the. We were talking about this before. He had job as the Cardinals head coach for one season was such a complete miserable failure that they canned him immediately hired Cliff Kingsbury a fired college coach to replace him but then Wilkes got a defensive coordinator job immediately like without any time off at all he was right back one step down from the top level of the NFL because that's how unimaginative they are like unless it's hiring a guy who was on Sean McVay's paper route when he was 12 uh, <laughs> because that maybe some of McVay's offensive genius rubbed off on him. Yeah, I know. They do They do beat a dead squeaker, don't they, R2? Um, the koala is almost dead. It's got a hole in its leg, and pretty soon we're going to have cause to get rid of it, aren't we? Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> in the, watching the first half of this game... It, Michigan's offense was was doing the things that they needed to do to hang in the game, but it was kind of like, you know in Dragon Ball Z when one of the, uh, I guess you may say, lesser tier characters or something like that? Krillin. Has, uh, when Krillin. <laughs> I, I guess I'm thinking specifically of the time that, uh, that uh, Tien went and tried to hold off Cell to buy some time <laughs> and was fighting toe-to-toe with him. And, for and, like you know, a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and, 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 and yeah, Gohan, not knowing what the hell's going on, is saying like, wow, I can't believe that. Is that Tien? Can he hold his own here? But the people who have seen some, some battle are saying his body can't possibly do this for much longer. <laughs> and that's exactly what it was like. It's like, no, this pace is unsustainable. This, they I'll can't t- keep yeah. doing this. And I'll tell you, the game, I, it was close for a while, like you said, in the first half. But I had a feeling that it was over when Patterson just straight up fumbled a clean snap, I think from either goal to go or maybe from like the 13 or something, um, just just flat out dropped it. 
Ohio State gets it. They immediately, boom, go the length of the field. That was game over to me. Their offense could not afford any missteps. No, because once again, the Michigan defense, which gets so much credit, gets pushed into the S&P plus top 10 for piling on against teams like Maryland and Rutgers and Michigan State. Um, they got lit on fire. Yeah, and that, not the first time it's happened against Ohio State, not the first time it's happened against a good team. This year? Not, yeah. not, 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 first... not to this extent, but, I mean, Wisconsin very similarly Wisconsin had their way with them. them so, yeah. uh, I guess if you're looking at this from Michigan's perspective, what's the easy call? The easy call is encourage Don Brown to go to Boston College or to just retire and find somebody else and try a different defensive scheme. But then you have the same problem there that you did with the offense at the beginning of this year. If it takes best case scenario is it takes half a season to implement a new defense in which time you're vulnerable. You can't play your backups because your starters have to stay in because your margin is narrower against teams that you need to beat. I don't know that it's, it's anything better than a repeat of this season. And like looking at Ohio State next year, for example, do you really think that they're going to take a big step back when Justin Fields becomes an upperclassman? Like, <laughs> this is not going to get any better. Uh, Garrett Wilson will go from being a five-star freshman who hardly plays to probably a five-star with a bigger impact. Julian Fleming, the number three recruit in the country, comes to join their wide receiver core. Like, they're not getting worse. And if the solution for Michigan, I mean, again, the most visible one to me is change defensive coordinators, then you're starting over on defense in year six. Does this end in Michigan winning a Big Ten title, say, even in the next three years? No. I mean, Ryan Day would have to colossally mismanage the roster for the next three years. He'd have to have everyone leave, and somehow he'd have to just completely zone out on a whole recruiting class or two, and then completely mangle it. He would have to be mangling the product on and off the field for years to lose a single game to Michigan, in my opinion. Because that's that's been the after effect of Urban Meyer building a juggernaut and teaching somebody how to how to work the controls. Ohio State football 2020 recruiting google.com. Number four class in the country, number one in the Big Ten, 25 commits, one, two, five stars. Let's scroll down to find the three stars. Okay, so a fair number of three stars, actually. One, two, get out of here. I don't want the VIP. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, three stars, actually. Oh, that does include a kicker. So part of it, I mean, part of the reason their class is viewed as highly as this is because it's got a bunch of numbers. First, they need to have numbers all the time. Right. And, uh, I mean, again, you can't take one class in a vacuum because you have to combine this with what they had last year, which, what was that, number two class, number one? Yeah. No, I don't see, I mean, about all you can hope for is that there's some kind of Jim Trestle thing brewing out there where Ryan Day has to leave for a really dumb reason and maybe... Like, Gene Smith isn't getting any younger. Maybe he steps down, a new athletic director fumbles the coaching search, and they just shoot themselves square in the foot. That's really what you have to hope for if you're you're a program other than Ohio State that wants to take their spot right now, because... Not even that wants to take their spot. That wants to have a turn on the Xbox. Yeah, my team had a three-year, as you said, had a three-year turn on the Xbox, and... uh, Pretty clear to me that I'm going to have to hold on to those memories for a while, as long as we're in this division with them. 
Yeah. Um, Penn State ain't doing it. They they, they, they I mean here. once in a while they might. I, they might I wouldn't I wouldn't rule necessarily yeah. rule it out, but I mean Look, Ohio State's not going to win the division every year indefinitely. Most years they'll be heavily favored, but weird things are going to happen. They may have a quarterback injury here. They may have big coaching turnover there. Um, something will happen that they're probably only winning at four out of five years going forward. <laughs> yeah. So we you know what, you know is it college football fun? You know who I blame? I blame all of you idiots who thought that they would. That they would fall off because Urban Meyer retired. We spent this is off, your we, fault. we spent the whole off season telling you dummies that that was not going to happen. We tried to warn you, and now look, now look, look ahead. It looks even bleaker. Look it at looks you, so look bleak, at, and this is all your fault. I personally blame everyone who said this was Michigan's year. Everyone who said there was an opportunity. It is all your fault look that we are all fucked for the foreseeable future. Look what you have done with the power of your positive thinking. Damn you. Well, that's enough talking about that. Well, are you sure? Because talking about that lets you put off talking about the next game on our... Um, no, we'll get, we'll get through this quick. Um, I went to the Michigan State-Maryland game because I offered to take my mom thinking she would turn me down, but she was like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, damn it! Um, so, yeah, I went, and in order to watch this game, I missed the end of Michigan-Ohio State. I missed the bucket. I missed the axe. I missed the Iron Bowl. Um... To watch this, to watch Michigan State 19, Maryland 16. I do not care that Michigan State won this game. I do not care if they're bowl eligible. They're going to get out of the quick lane of the pinstripe, the two shittiest bowls the Big Ten is associated with. And having watched this game in person, I put this win right there in the constellation of data points with Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona State. Every bad thing that happened to this team this year at Illinois, lest I forget. Um... This is right there in that set of information indicating that the problems with D'Antonio's program probably cannot be fixed by him. Um, I mean, the, the most startling thing, aside, first of all, from, in my opinion, a, the least interested sideline I've ever seen. I mean, body language maybe gets overplayed a little bit, but aside from a brief burst of energy after halftime and then once they got the ball back, once Maryland failed on fourth down at the end of the game and it was over, they definitely won. There was some energy then, but it just did not appear to be a sideline with a whole lot of interest in being there. Um, and I get that, look, two days after Thanksgiving, a building that was probably 40% full Maybe a bit more than that. No, the upper deck was basically empty, so I'm going to give it 40% full. Why does the Big Ten always make us play on that day now? Um, TV, I'm sure. I mean, it's, it's all for of TV all, because it sucks for attendance. It's well, not just Illinois. It seems like it's everywhere now. Yeah, well, I, I think because the season starts a little earlier and every team now has two buys that they had to play this, otherwise we're backing up halfway into August. Um I don't know why that's a problem necessarily, but yeah, that's the only thing I can come up with. Right, because everyone's got conference title games now. They don't have the odd December game like they used to. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of Bulls that are playing in like two weeks. So, yeah. um, and nobody, I, Army Navy should be by itself that second weekend in December. So I'm fine with setting up a fence in that direction. Like you, here you shall go and no further. College football um, scheduling is dumb now. Now, I mean, since conference realignment started, honestly, but yeah, 
I mean, the other, the other thing I would observe, if you're a Maryland fan, you're all, you've been looking forward to, you've, you've wanted to sim this game basically since first week of October, maybe. Maybe a little bit later than that, depending on how delusional you were. But it's not like there, again, part of the reason that we've been underwhelmed with Loxley this year is that it's not like there's zero talent whatsoever on this roster, especially at the offensive skill positions. They have a couple guys who can flat out fly. I have no... It doesn't make any sense to me, unless he's still kind of limited by injury, which did not appear to be the case. I don't know how Anthony McFarland gets. Let me check the box score, lest I misrepresent it, but I believe he only had like eight carries in this game. So let me consult. Is that it? Yeah, eight carries. He had 134 yards. Now, wow. that included like a 60-some yard touchdown, another 40-yard run. But that's still, if you take those out, that's still like six carries for better than 40 yards. That The guy was an absolute spark plug, and they ran him eight times in a game they lost by a field goal. And it's not like they, you know, Javon Leak only got 10 carries, but he was going for two yards a game. Like, he didn't have any space. And he's a playmaker, too. They have receivers who can fly. But it just between the, between the way they're using their quarterbacks and the problems they have with the offensive line, I mean, for all their explosive plays... I wonder how many tackles for loss they had. Let me see if I can find a 10, according to this box score. 10 tackles for loss, which is a pretty good stack for one game. Um, there's a real, I mean, there's, I get that when you don't have strong play in the trenches, that a lot of things kind of fall apart. But given that the guy's a human joystick, I don't get how McFarland didn't have 20 carries in this game. So in general, you probably saw this whole experience with uh, <clears throat> you thought they were just stagnating, but they were disintegrating. So now you're done, Michigan State. At least for right now. Sick of that commercial, by the way. Bumbasaurus's Christmas album is available on the Off Talkle Empire store. At, Star, at certain select Starbucks uh, and at a variety of bookstores and coffee shops in your neighborhood today. Uh, Penn State played Rutger. And, uh, you sure? <laughs> uh, look, about all that I would note on this game is that Penn State once again refused to take Rutgers seriously, and I know that because I saw the halftime score and that's fine for now, but sooner or later, that's going to bite them in the ass. Um, probably not this, I mean, certainly not this year, not next year, probably not even the year after that. But, boy, they're, they're playing with fire a little bit and clearly not taking opponents like Rutgers seriously. The other thing I would observe about Penn State is we never talked much about Sean Clifford's role in their success or failure this year because he he felt basically like a first-year quarterback, a first-year quarterback with pretty good talent, with pretty good talent around him, but he it didn't feel like he was winning games for him. It really didn't feel like he was losing games for him. He was just kind of there. And given that he's only a sophomore, maybe he turns into substantially more than that in the next year or two, but when he was out for this game, it became apparent how much this offense has to have him to have any chance of functioning, at least with where their backups are right now. Because Will Levis is not a guy who's going to throw the ball. No. Um, I don't know. 
I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about how it's difficult to, you know, you mentioned the Nick Saban thing about how, it's, you know, you can really only get the best game out of your team about twice a year. Can you get a C effort out of them every game, though? Like, that doesn't seem yeah. a question, yeah. especially yeah. when... You know you're not going to be able to bring it all every game, but... There's still stakes for Penn State. You're like, yeah. you're not going to the playoff for the Big Ten title game, but you're in line for the Rose Bowl. Like, is that not good enough? And it just sets a dangerous precedent to, you know, to have any games where you bring, like, roughly 10% of it. Um, of course, we'll get to more uh, examples of how doing that can really bite you in the ass, especially when there's no excuse for it. We'll get to we'll get to that later, but, you know. I can't think know. of anything. I can't think, but all right. Yeah, because <laughs> when you don't have an insurmountably huge talent advantage, like Penn State had over Rutgers, sometimes you can end up just showing your entire ass. Yeah. You know, the other thing that hit my funny bone a little bit, and maybe it's not a problem, but after, I mean, when he was interviewed, Franklin... I don't remember if this was at halftime, maybe it was even after the game, but he made a comment basically about their need to be more explosive, how they didn't get enough explosive plays, how they gave up a couple too many, which I don't think was true at all, because I doubt Rutgers had a play of longer than 20 yards, but um, he phrased basically the success or failure of his whole team in terms of where they were explosive. And that tells me that this trend that we've commented on in the past, where Penn State's offense is very feast or famine. They either hit the big play or they're punting. That maybe that's intent, like that's a feature, not a bug, at least in Franklin's eyes. And I wonder about the wisdom of that because, I mean, half of the good part of having those home run threats is they command so much attention that your bread and butter stuff really ought to work pretty well, right? I mean, if you have to have two deep guys to take away the threat of a KJ Hamler, Shouldn't your run game have a little bit more space to operate? You'd think so. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I didn't intend to go too deep into that. It was just something... That's a fairly amazing point you bring up, because I wonder what would happen if you put national title-type talent on Illinois. Would they be the exact same thing as Penn State is? Hmm. With Hunter Um, Lovie Smith, because, boy, they sure do rely on the big play on offense and defense. A lot like... Almost to the exclusion of anything else. Well, I would say that the explosive thing isn't totally true defensively. Penn, Penn, Penn State's pretty, Penn yeah, State's pretty solid across pretty the board. They do, I mean, their pass rush is definitely their emphasis. So I guess you could say that insofar as it's hard to predict and force interceptions, that that kind of attacking mentality, going after the quarterback, trying for tackles for loss and sacks, Maybe that's as close as you can get to seeking the explosive play on defense, but they tend to be solid across the board. Now their secondary has failed in some ways I didn't expect, given they've got a lot of experience back there with Reed and Taylor and those guys. But, um, yeah, it, maybe. Gosh, I wonder. Anyway, let's so what you're, say, what you're saying is you want to do basically like a Freaky Friday thing with Lovey Smith and James Franklin. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Greenlight that script, Netflix. I mean, tell me it's not better than 40% of the content out there right now. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I feel so wide awake right now. I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> so, anyway, Rutger. They did, the, they did the thing. Um... You know, I, I was uh, 
I was prompted by another, for another reason to check my off tackle affiliated email today. And I noticed I actually was copied on that one piece of fan mail you got from a Rutgers fan after we dropped our Rutgers preview podcast. I read that and I was kind of laughing at it. And the crux of the message was, why are you so mean to my school? I mean, it, a lot of incoherent, a um, little bit of profanity, uh, a little bit of a virtue signaling in defense of Liberty University of all things as well. But <laughs> in any case, it prompted me to wondering, like, maybe we are being a little unfair here. After all, is there a candidate out there more likely to breathe some level of success in Rutgers than Shiano? Who would actually take that job right now? I mean, plenty of people would if the university gave them what they needed to be successful. And it kind of sounds like in our original dismissal of that there were some things that I didn't know about how that went down. And it's always hard to know how accurate things are that people report. Yeah. But for instance, I mean, I, I don't know, obviously de- de- debatable whether or not it'll pay off, but, um, you know, when Illinois hired a new athletic director, uh, by hiring Lovey Smith, one of the things that they were doing was, was, you know, signaling to the donors and everybody that, hey, we're willing to spend like a real Big Ten football program now, you know, pony up, let's, let's, let's roll, you know, this will pay off in a few years. They built a new football facility. Um, so, and it's actually like, it's a pretty easy comparison to, to, to have Rutgers Athletic Department and Illinois in 2015 uh, just given how much turmoil there's there's been. Um, well, okay. So that's so... The, the, thing, the thing that I heard reported was that Rutgers was not willing to do that per Shiano's demands, I guess. Yeah, well, that they weren't willing to, on the spot, commit what would have added up to about $150 million to a football program that's been the worst in the Big Ten, certainly, and arguably in Power Five, with the exclusion of Kansas, maybe, um, since they joined the Big Ten. I mean, we've see, I've seen the sentiment expressed often enough that maybe Rutgers should have just dropped competitive football altogether. Now, who knows what percentage of fan base that actually equates to, but it's a thread that's popped up in their institution before. It, it was the prevailing thought for a lot of their history. So, Well, I mean, and I believe that, you know, I don't know Greg Schiano, but I can only imagine that he made the argument, like, if you weren't going to do this, if you weren't willing to do shit like this, why did you join the Big Ten? Because this is the name of the game. Right. what they do in the Big Ten. And, like, you either do this or you shouldn't be in there. All he's got to do is show them the highlights from almost any conference game since they joined. And be like, this is what you've got indefinitely, unless you bring in bring somebody in here who has a vision for how to change it. And from what I've heard, he actually did have a somewhat detailed plan on how he planned not only to improve things on the field, but how to build a more comprehensive program around what was going on on the field. So if you get that kind of presentation from a guy who clearly wants to be there, um, I think maybe it is kind of difficult to try, especially when faced with the fact that you would have had a fan riot on your hands if you hadn't hired him. Uh, it's already a difficult sell you know, from the season ticket office perspective from the donor perspective, given what they've put on the field the last few years. So, well, it's just, it's just impossible to ignore 
how big of a brand ambassador the football team is when you have an FBS high-level program. How it, it's the biggest marketing arm of your university. Yeah. And again, there's there's plenty of valid arguments about whether or not that's a good thing, whether or not that's right. But there's no point in half-assing a program when you're at the Big Ten. Yeah. Either either drop scholarship football, compete in the Big Ten at at other sports that don't you know require anywhere near the investment. I don't know if the conference would allow you to do that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> or you got to go all in because half-assing a Power Five football program does not in any way reflect positively on you academically. No, and it like. I think the the wool is off of enough people's eyes that it's not like anybody takes the connection between academics and athletics. Seriously, I mean, we had another Heisman candidate quarterback today, or not today, but this weekend, say, oh, yeah, it was good to see the students. I take all online classes, so I basically don't know what any of them look like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Joe Burrow, uh, by the way, so, and look, the, the high-profile transfer quarterbacks are probably not the only guys that that's true for, so... It's just, again, every new thing that comes out that involves academics and major college athletics indicates that it's a, it's a complete farce. So if your institution is willing to look that fact in the eye or at least ignore it enough to reap the benefits from athletics, that's probably the best thing for it, unless you're going to go the Ivy League route. And guess what, Rutgers? You're not an Ivy League. So. Well, I mean, how, how much... I don't know how much history you have on this, uh, but... How much do you think Michigan State's academic profile has been boosted by, you know, relatively high-profile uh, success in real televised sports over the last two decades? I have no idea. Because uh, a colleague of mine, at, at uh, former colleague of mine at Chrysler, who was a student at Michigan State, um, right around like the, you know, late 80s, early 90s. I understand it used to be a lot easier to get in. Yeah, said that, that it's it's a lot, you know, the standards are a lot higher now, and he, he does attribute a lot of that to more eyes being on Michigan State because of... Tom Izzo, first Tom of all. Yeah. yeah. There's, I mean, there's certainly something to it, and there's proven correlations in every study I've ever seen on the subject that, like, the higher profile and better off your football team in particular is the more applications for admission you get so yeah. this is the only it's the only route if you want to play on this stage um, if you're not going to have academics like harvard or johns hopkins or whoever this is the way to go to boost your profile well it it's be not even about that on. it's about if you want to try to take the principled stand that this is a farce you know or that it's hurting your academics have fun being the only one doing it yeah well and also you don't believe that if you're still in the Big Ten, okay? Because to be in the Big Ten is to subscribe to the philosophy that football matters. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, I think what we're winding towards for a conclusion here is, look, I'm still skeptical that this is going to work, but it's also probably fair to say there's not a candidate out there right now that you can reasonably conclude is going to go to Rutgers for whom it's more likely to work out. If that's the case, I mean, this isn't getting Scott Frost, this isn't getting Jim Harbaugh, but it's the closest thing that they realistically were going to get. The, Rutgers is not Nebraska or Michigan. This was the closest thing they were going to get to the home run. Is it getting Mac Brown? I think it's at least getting Mac Brown, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's what you're hoping for, is that you get about that level of improvement next year and 
Like, man, being an immediate bowl contender, that feels like a lot. I haven't looked at Rutgers' schedule next year for the non-con, but those games against Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State aren't going away. Um, Indiana's going to be getting better. They got Illinois on the schedule, so they got opportunities. Uh, we'll see about even that. But anyway, enough said about that. Let's get on something I know you really want to talk about. Ads? Yes. Okay, we allowed 50 points in the first half. That's cool. We're only down by like... Oh, you're still talking about basketball. Yeah. Okay. I was like... Did Northwestern score 50? It's a 16-point game now. Four or five ACL tears and we can make this a game. Dark. So, welcome back to Off Tackle Empire. Off Tackle Empire, whatever. Um, Illinois decided to decided that it was a nice occasion to have the worst performance of the Lovey Smith era. Um, I'm not exaggerating. The yardage disparity in their loss to Northwestern was greater than the yardage disparity in 63 to nothing. It was like 430 to 160. They gained 160 yards. Uh, Marty, Marty, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta play quarterback against against Illinois, Marty. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta throw kind of shitty, but still just pile up a whole, it's a whole bunch of yards on the ground. Don't, don't even worry about throwing it, Marty. Don't, don't ever worry, don't worry about throwing it. You, you, you can't, they, they can't tackle you out there, Marty. Just, just trust me. You're gonna have to trust me about this. So we we told you it was gonna come back if they kept playing Andrew Marty, and they did. And six for ten. 55 yards through the air, one touchdown, one interception. That's not normally the passing line of the only quarterback to attempt a pass in a 20-point blowout, but that's what happened here because Northwestern, apparently in Mick McCall's swan song, uh, he just he threw out a magnum opus. So debuting Coco Azuma, who I had never heard of before. He's a defensive back. Yeah, so they flipped him over to offense, and he went off for 123 yards on seven carries. They got, as you mentioned, decent production, albeit on pretty high volume from yet another quarterback. Um, Anderson got a whole pile of carries. So you attribute this to, what, an imbalance in motivation primarily? I don't know what the hell there is else to attribute this to because I'm not going to simply sit here and say that this Illini team with uh, with no injuries to the offensive line before the game, they had nobody missing on the offensive line. Uh, you're burying the lead a little bit in that the starting quarterback is gone. It is, it, but So it's fair to say that at this point in Lovey Smith's regime, if you have no quarterback depth behind a transfer that you got this summer to play this year, that that's a real problem, and that's com- completely fair. But well, he is still the guy that you were relying on. A lot of teams take a big step back when their starter goes down. To quote a, a, a dude I follow on Twitter, you know, it really sucks that somebody held a gun to Rod Smith's head and forced him to offer a scholarship to his friend Greg Robinson's nephew. I could do without ever seeing Matt Robinson take another snap in an Illini uniform. Um, he's just... He's just really bad. And what I thought, thought was amazing about how bad he was is that he was a less effective runner than Brandon Peters, despite being a lot faster. Yeah. He, he didn't do anything with the 
with the run game, and he, you know, for a guy whose only strength, because he's not particularly fast and he can't really throw very well, I mean, he, he can't throw very far down the field, and he can't see over the offensive lineman, his strength was supposed to be that he knows the offense and he knows what to do and how to operate decisively, and he looked like a deer in the headlights. Yeah, well, the, the run game as a whole was startlingly ineffective. And look, Northwestern's defensive front has been their relative strength all season. Now in a 3-9 and nine season, what does that even mean? But look at some of these rushing totals. I mean, Dre Brown, 5 carries for 17. Isaiah Williams, 3 for 15. Rayvon Bonner, 3 for 3. Reggie Corbin, 7 for negative 10. Like, how does that happen? I'll That's tell you just... how it happens. One, Northwestern saw that we had a Mater Bebe out, so then our receivers were a converted linebacker and two former walk-ons. All right, uh, being thrown the ball by Matt Robinson. So, why would you cover anybody? Exactly. (laughs) They actually they put ten in the box. Uh, That's what they did. And then the offensive line was still doing a decent job, but Reggie Corbin, who got the bulk of the carries in the first half, uh, just kept (coughs) looking for the big play, and it was basically all of the worst Barry Sanders runs. Uh, (laughs) And I kept screaming for Dre Brown to get the ball because. Uh, you know, he at least goes forward. Been, so. Yes, he's been a lot better at sticking with his blockers and at least taking a few yards when they get him for him, whereas Corbin would turn a few yards into a loss. Um, you know, then at a certain point, you start wondering, well, can we get a more capable runner in there? And they did, but they, they, they switched to Isaiah Williams late enough that it didn't matter anymore, probably so that Rod Smith wouldn't have to get second-guessed about not giving Isaiah Williams any snaps. But so that nobody could, you know, so that he didn't have to take the risk of, I don't know, whatever it is you risk when you make a change when you're getting blown out. What's his redshirt counter right now? How many games has he played in? Oh, uh, he can play in the bowl game and be fine. Oh, uh, he, right. Yeah. So that's I mean, so that's so this is not a. It's not a not an Aaron Bailey situation. No. <laughs> I was looking for the guy's name. I knew you knew who I meant, and I knew you knew that I knew who you. That you would Illinois that. ran 49 yeah. plays, possessed the ball for five minutes of the first half because the defense uh, should have known. I mean, basically, uh, Northwestern ran just about the same offense that Illinois did. Um, yeah, just... Um, the difference is that Illinois, for some reason, thought that they were going to get hurt with a passing game and committed eight in the box, which is, a, which is a good idea, except you could very, very safely have put 10 in the box. Yeah, because Northwestern was running for six yards a carry. Why are they going to throw the ball more than 10 times in this game? Uh, man, I wonder. I mean, Northwestern's six receptions, five of them went to Riley Lees. I wonder, like, outside of service academies, could you find a worse passing line for a team that got a three-score win? What was the Vegas line on this game before, by the way? I mean, I'm sure Illinois was Illinois favorite. was a 10-point favorite. So this is a 30-point difference between the line and the reality. I wonder if there's ever been that wild of a swing not involving a service academy where the the upsetting team, if you will, had this bad of a passing line. Um, 160 yards of offense and allowed 378 yards of rushing against a team that fired an 11-year offensive coordinator the next day. Yeah. This, I mean, this is among the most horseshit Illini performances I've ever seen and and this in a season where with two games to go they had already achieved your main goal for them before the season yeah which was, was and they, still, they still came they out still, and gave Iowa a really good game on the road and I guess then and only then did they decide pack it up pack it in Delhi Harding started Jamal Malone started and the defense got absolutely abused the defensive line got 
you know, they were just on skates the whole time. Andrew Marty was just trucking guys with NFL prospects. One of the big problems with the way Illinois tackles and in, in trying to go for the ball is that they generally hold the guy up and let him get another two to three yards while they're trying to strip the ball, and that didn't work. I disagree with the assertion made by Lovey and the Illini that this game didn't matter because they clearly didn't give a shit whether they lost this game or not. Um, well, the assertion matters the assertion, to me. Yeah. God damn it! Right, that's that's the point. I was gonna say when they say, I mean, they, not that they say this, but when they imply through their actions that it doesn't matter, what they're saying is it doesn't matter to us. Yeah, that they're so out of touch with it mattering to you, and I think you probably represent within a standard deviation of what the typical Illinois fan thinks that like this man, you're not going to have a Northwestern team this bad. That's, that's my point. If, if Lovey Smith can't defeat this Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern team, when will he ever? Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced now that Lovey Smith will never defeat Pat Fitzgerald as head coach of the Illini. It's ever. Hard, it's hard to argue. Ever. Um, he could coach for 15 more years and never once beat him. Well, let's let's move on and talk about another coach who the haters are just getting all over out here when really all Pegis was trying to teach us by letting his team get blown out and lose the axe, lose the division, is that, look, just sometimes you got to just lose really bad, and that's how you roll the boat is you just take a double-barrel shotgun and you fire a couple slugs right into the, right into the hull. Uh, you let it fill up with water, and then you're you're standing on the bottom of the lake, and you're rowing your boat. You don't and have you're any just, character. That makes you that makes you better people. And right, if you, you don't, don't any see character, it, unless you see adversity, right. And, and so, sometimes you have to create the adversity for yourself. Yeah, sometimes you, your ass kicked. Sometimes you gotta get fucking rocked by your blood rival and watch them take your beloved trophy, take the division, and probably go to get their guts spilled by Ohio State. Frankly, but hey, that should have been your turn. To, to get your head put on a pike by the Buckeyes. Well, we said before the year started, anyone can win the Big Ten West except Illinois. Well, then, as the year went on, it was Minnesota's year. It was magic in the making. That's what everybody said, and now you had to play for it, and look who comes away with the division again. Wisconsin Badgers. Wisconsin Badgers. Wisconsin Badgers. So all that said, um, this means, by the way, that Wisconsin won the axe. It was decisive. There's nothing more enjoyable about college football, whichever team it is, and it's pretty much been Wisconsin, but... Uh, the winning team in this game sprinting to recover the axe from the sideline, um, chopping down the goalpost. It's there. There's very cell. I mean, there's no artifice in that. It's it's one of the few moments of actual total joy. You get it with this. You get it with Floyd of Rosedale. I'm jealous of Minnesota's trophies. I mean, I'll say that for sure. Good. Nobody gives that much of a shit about the megaphone at Michigan State, for example. So nobody gives a shit about the hat at Illinois. True. True. Um, we, we'll go into this a little bit. So this game is kind of an example of what happens to an offense like Minnesota's when you cannot establish the run with a purpose, as we discussed earlier this season. Um, because having as effective of a run game as they did for most of the year, 
is what allowed Tanner Morgan to be as good of a quarterback as he was. And when that run threat was minimalized without Wisconsin having to commit eight, nine, ten guys, the coverage was a lot more sound, and those windows aren't quite so wide open for Tanner Morgan anymore. A lot of other programs got ten wins. How many of these would you definitely take Minnesota over? Cincinnati? Memphis? Neutral site? I have to think about it. I mean, that's I would have to think about it. Yeah. Probably not. Def- I mean, I'd take, I suppose Minnesota is probably better than both of them, but I'm not, that's like a three point spread, I think. SMU? I think Minnesota is better than SMU. Probably, yes. Uh, Clemson, Oklahoma? <laughs> no, no. Baylor? No. Ohio State? No. Penn State, if they played again tomorrow, I'd probably say push advantage Penn State on mm. neutral field. I would, no. I, I would still like Minnesota in that matchup because. I remain convinced that P.J. Fleck decisively outcoached Franklin in that game. 100%. I would still give that to Minnesota. Yeah. Wouldn't be quite a quick answer, but let's see. Wisconsin, obviously not. Oh, we just got that answer. Notre Dame. I would would also, I think Notre Dame's been overrated for most this year. I would take Minnesota in that one. Uh, Boise State? No, I like Boise State more. Air Force? I'd take Minnesota in that one. Oregon? Nope. Utah. Nope. Georgia. Nope. Florida. Nope. LSU. Nope. Alabama. Nope. Appalachian State. Probably. Probably Minnesota, yes. Mm. It's. I mean, it's not an easy call either. Louisiana Lafayette. I would take Minnesota in that one, too. So you'd say Minnesota is not one of the best teams with 10 wins. No, and that's... I mean, we bring this up just because I know most of the season, again, has been a combination of... Minnesota fans gloating over starting on the hot streak they did. And anytime anything slightly negative happened, um, them shouting at everyone, um, basically telling us to get off of their cloud, when actually your your cloud is you standing outside my house yelling how great you are. So we're allowed now to observe the fact that, in reality, you played probably the easiest schedule of any ranked team, of any team currently ranked. Except maybe Alabama. True fact. True fact. And at the end of that schedule, what goals have you achieved? Any of them? Any of them? You made the shit out of the bowl game. <laughs> you certainly did. And your prize for that, by the way, why don't I just... And again, who knows whether this ends up being the case or not. But that's the Outback Bowl, which is the one Iowa goes to every other year. Except for the times when Michigan plays Florida. Right. And this is... That happened like last year, so yeah. Michigan can't play Florida this year. Projected to go against Texas A&M, though. I mean, they would win that game easily, I think. Mm, I don't know about easily. Texas A&M's got talent, but it ain't going the way I think a lot of people thought it would from Jimbo there. I have favor Minnesota in that matchup, too. Lest we be accused of being unvarnished haters. Like, I'm not saying that there are no good teams that Minnesota would beat, but when you look at your peers in the rankings, for example, outside of the top five, which, of course, Minnesota's not going to beat a playoff team. I don't think many of them have asserted that they would, but... Outside of the top five, I still think probably two-thirds of the remaining ranked teams are better than Minnesota. Yeah, but you know what? It'd be cool if at least the Smack Talk was a little bit self-aware and not defensive because Smack Talk is good for Big Ten college football to happen. Uh, Oh, look, yeah. I noticed that over the course of Saturday, uh, I obviously, I I got the keys taken away from me from the Champagne Room Twitter account for (laughs) drunk driving a lot, but prior prior to crashing it, I, I think I, I also got into some arguments about people getting really mad at us retroactively for, like, throwing a few barbs at Northwestern over the course of the week. And it's like, oh, 
You think that we're you're you're so fucking sad about Illinois that we shouldn't talk smack during rivalry week? We shouldn't even attempt to talk any smack during rivalry week until we have absolutely already won the game? Like at that point, that's so goddamn sad. Your opponent signs off Twitter after that happens. That's like the fun part is over then. Like exactly, exactly. Like I I thought we had just enough right to. I thought that having six wins gave us just a little bit of a right to have just a little bit of swagger. Obviously, I guess I I don't know. I guess some of you guys were uh, were more in tune with the program than I was. I didn't know. I didn't get the memo that we weren't going to give a shit about this game. And so when we spent a good part of Minnesota's triumphant early run saying, uh, hey, you're barely beating these non-conference teams. Uh, hey, you're playing the shitty end of the Big Ten. Did we, tur- did we turn out to have a point or did we not turn out to have a point? Congratulations. You beat the shit out of Illinois. Not that hard. All right. So let's take a look around the rest of the country then. Um, <laughs> the Egg Bowl. The Egg Bowl, the Egg Bowl, the Egg Bowl. Uh, you don't want to talk about the bucket game? How could you not want to talk about the bucket game? Did I just forget to? Oh, I scrolled right the entire page. All right. How could you not want to talk about the bucket game? Because I was sitting in frigid ass Spartan Stadium and I didn't see a second of it. Do you remember what we said last week, which was that the bucket game is definitely better than basically every other rivalry week game? Yes, and we were wrong with the exception of the Egg Bowl. No, we're right about we're right about that. It, it, vastly better than Michigan Ohio State in terms of yeah. quality of game. A hundred percent. This was better. It's better than this year's version of the Axe because it turned out to be a blowout again. It's been a couple of years since the Axe was actually competitive. On paper, I guess you could look at Nebraska Iowa and say, "Hey, that was a really close, tight game." Yeah, but it was brutal to watch. And it was it was just dumb. Yeah, it shouldn't have been close. So, yeah, this this having watched the um, the BTN football and sixty thing of this turned out to be an amazing game. One more reminder, by the way. That offense does not have to be as hard as Michigan State makes it look. I mean, a backup, albeit an extremely seasoned backup, and a four-string former walk-on quarterback got this game's total into the 80s. And, you know, Michigan State, with their starting quarterback, couldn't crack 20 against the team that folded the tent over a month ago. Would be a great story if ESPN gave a shit about things that didn't have playoff implications. Oh, my God. Imagine if Aiden O'Connell was the quarterback at Clemson. Yeah, and then imagine that 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 Peyton Ramsey was taking over for Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, the best backup quarterback in America. You'd already the thirty for thirty would be in your DVR already. Peyton's places. <laughs> <laughs> I, completely, and you know, we understand that major media's got a job to do, which is. Make money, Make money and, for the executives. Right, and they know which side their bread's buttered on, and it sure as hell ain't Indiana football in the state of Indiana that is anything but Notre Dame. So we get why they're not. But th- these stories are as good as any that you're going to see in the country this year. So look, unless, and again, the, the projections I'm looking at are sending Indiana to the Music City Bowl, unless they get absolutely hammered in their bowl game, and maybe even in that case, is there any doubt this is the best Indiana season of our lifetimes? No, and let me tell you what would make this season amazing, but is almost certainly not going to happen. If they went to the Music City Bowl and played Kentucky. Oh boy, not only is that an old rivalry, but 
Man, Kentucky completely retooled their offense around the best athlete on their team, and it is amazing to watch. Yeah. I would watch the shit out of that game. No, that would be, I mean, that would shoot to the top of my bowl power rankings. Think about this. Just with some of the matchups, there's opportunities to make several defunct rivalries happen in bowl season. Texas and Texas A&M both sit at 7-5. and five. <laughs> Come on! Oh my god, Dude, that would be the angriest bowl that nobody would watch on TV, but the stadium would be full to the rafters. If you want to sign with bowl... I would love to watch it. I don't know, like... What SEC Big 12 Bowl matchups are there? I don't know the non-Big 10 Bowls all that well. Um, but, no, I mean, that matchup that you mentioned, like... Indiana-Kentucky would be great. Is Lynn Bowden not a little bit of diet Antoine Randall? Yeah. He... Yeah. Absolutely. Because he's probably playing receiver in the NFL. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they're sure, they're sure as hell not going to use him as a quarterback. It, he's... He's not uh, he's not a great college quarterback in the same way that Lamar Jackson is, for example. So, um, but anyway, we're we're missing the point a little bit here. So, yeah, Indiana. I know it's disappointing. Come up short once again against the likes of Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State, and even losing the Michigan State game because that probably should have been an Indiana win. Um, but this is still that also would have cemented Illinois' spot in Detroit. Where we belong, <laughs> goddammit. Well, that was one thing all week I was saying, look, we're probably going to beat Northwestern, and even if we don't, at least that'll mean we're in Detroit. Yeah, we'll see about that, I guess. <laughs> um, we lose at home to, to the last place team in a MAC division, and somehow we're not Detroit material. <laughs> what more do we need to do to prove to you people? We, we, we beat, yeah, we beat Wisconsin and Michigan State. It was a complete accident. Let us into Detroit! <laughs> Probably the first time that sentiment's been expressed in a long time. Um, so about Purdue, before we move on, um, it's probably fair to assert at this point that Purdue needs to shift its defensive approach because this is consistently not working. And I get that this year's team is so riddled with injuries that you can probably give the coaching staff a little bit of a mulligan, but... They've got enough. I mean, look, their offense, despite being a lot of fun to watch and pretty explosive most of the time, has enough consistent issues in bad weather that your defense is going to have to be good enough to hold some teams under 40 sooner or later if you're going to want to win some games. I still long-term am optimistic about Purdue because the benefit of playing so many young guys is in another year or two, they should be excellent because they are still recruiting. Um, but, man... It, it feels like there should be some pressure on Brom to be in the division picture to win eight or nine games next year. Fair? So who else does that apply to? Scott Frost. Scott Frost. Lovey Smith. Uh, P.J. Fleck. So, so I, Well, I don't, hold on. I, I think this year probably purchased Fleck proof of concept with his fan base. I mean, if they have a little bit of a backslide... When you look at returning production, you know what I'm saying? Like, Well, we'll see. I mean, it, they have enough, They have some draft-eligible guys. They're definitely losing Tyler Johnson, um, Brooks, and Smith. So, we'll see. I mean, look, having Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman back is enough of a start for any offense that they ought to be good again. But if they slide back to 7 or 8, is anybody going to be calling to fire P.J. Fleck in Minneapolis? I think not. So except, except maybe for that one journalist everybody hates. Oh, uh, uh, Babu. Yeah. Well, no, no. The, the old guy. Oh. 
Um, I don't know. So what? So what? What's the deal? Everyone can win the Big Ten West. Anyone can win the Big Ten West except Northwestern. Northwestern. <laughs> and watch them. Watch them come right back and win the West again next oh, year. They're gonna beat the shit out of Illinois. That's what I know for sure. Man, after that, yeah, of course I'm thankful for a bull, but I'm I'm like I'm like my my my, my enthusiasm for this bull is a lot like the uh, lady in the Peloton ad, like like just just that very very haunted six a.m. Yay! <laughs> you got me an exercise bike. What are you saying? <laughs> That's how that would actually go. Let's be honest. Like I got you like, this. Like I'm trying to make the face that she's making about being really nervous about. Doing an online spin class, which I'm very nervous about doing this again next year. Uh, um, we we did pivot to video so y'all can see this, but so anyway, the egg bowl, <laughs> which will forever be known as the piss and miss game. <laughs> it look, I I don't know what Ole Miss fans' expectations for their program were. Maybe Matt Luke was already a dead man walking this season, but if there was any possibility that he was coming back, I mean, like. If they had say that they had scored the touchdown, kicked the extra point, and lost in overtime, would Matt Luke have been fired as definitively and obviously as he was after this result? I don't think so. So I, th- I really think like that game was already re- like so. The first three quarters were just kind of dumb and stupid, just kind of standard. And I then know. the fourth quarter was just like all game they hadn't been calling penalties, and then on the last drive everything was a penalty. And they were just stupid turnovers. It was like an NFL game, basically. Like incredibly dumb game. And then, but then it just the the when when that dude his name was Moore, I think, uh, scored a touchdown that would have tied it up. That crawled over to the Mississippi State logo and raised his leg. Uh, like I, a bulldog might. Yeah, like a bulldog might. Um, that was amazing. And then the unsportsmanlike conduct pushed the extra point back, and I. You know, I thought to myself, no, it's too funny to happen. It's too funny to actually happen. They'll make this. They'll go to overtime here. It's too funny to actually happen. And then it happened, and I, I'm pretty sure I, I collapsed to the ground and slapped the floor a whole bunch of times and didn't injure my shoulder like Jay Sean Tate. But anyway. Yeah. So that happened. I, 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 I like college football for those reasons. It's hard for me to say I love it right now. But that, that, that game, shit like that does not happen in other sports. Let me sweeten the pot for you a little bit if you say you don't love it. Can we loll on Alabama together? We can. They pretty much have to fire Saban now, right? I mean, look, recruiting has slipped all the way to number three in the country, y'all. Oh, my God. That doesn't even make a BCS title game. Their blue chip ratio is only 19 out of 23 commits. Can you believe that? Four damn three stars in this class. I just didn't even think that. What the I fuck? Didn't think, I didn't think the process still had room for that. What is Nick thinking up there? Um, so I love that, um, first off, I've been kind of saying all year that Alabama's run defense is actually pretty unspectacular for Alabama. Yeah, no, it's been a step backwards, notably this year, and it didn't matter when they had Tua and a half dozen NFL wide receivers covering it. But so since this wasn't worth talking about because it didn't yeah. seem like it mattered, but you, you know, and like, like you always just assumed that when it mattered, they turn it on. Right. Nope. No. And they had, I, I think they had a couple of linebacker injuries, if I'm remembering correctly, or maybe I'm thinking it might've been last year when they had like a bunch of dudes get hurt there. But, um, you know, they also gave Auburn two defensive touchdowns and, 
And right. Say, they outgained them by 150 yards. Yeah. And still lost. I'll be at the last second. And one other thought on this, which is that I saw some statistic there that since he got there, since they, since Saban got to Alabama, they've missed the most field goals in FBS. I forget what the exact number was, but it was over 100. And so it got me thinking for some reason about Bobby Bowden and how early in his career, a couple of big-time field goal misses cost them big. I think two different national title shots, basically, were blown because they didn't have a reliable kicker. And so from that moment forward, Bobby Bowden made damn sure every season, basically until he was over the hill and being pushed out, Florida State had the best kicker every year. I mean, Janikowski, Graham Gano, Did he Hopkins. Did uh, Roberto Aguayo? He that might have been Fisher, but if not, then it would have. It might have been like the last kicker Bowden recruited. Yeah. Um, they he they never wanted for a kicker again. I'll put it that way. And Saban often has like the top ranked recruit or uh, kicking recruits coming out of high school, but so many of them end up failing so spectacularly. You and I were talking about this before we record. I'm like, given the increased visibility of the transfer portal and the apparent ease with which you can move around. How is he not just recruiting one of the five or six best kickers in the country every year to grad grad Indiana's kicker every year, grad transfer to Alabama. You're instantly on a national title contending team. You ain't going to class. Let's be real. You know, you've already got a degree from wherever you went before. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, are you telling me that Griffin Oaks wouldn't have transferred to Alabama for his senior year from Indiana if that offer was out there? Of course he would have. Um, I mean, I maybe. Was, uh, you had Chase McLaughlin, a guy that could reliably hit from 50-plus. Yeah, you don't think that Alabama should have been at his door? like Matt Gay from Utah kicked for a number of years. Right, it, or anybody. I mean, I'm just – it's confusing to me that for all the – you know, like the two dozen analysts they have on their staff and just the, the facility facility both in the physical term and in just the infrastructure sense, like all the resources they pour into it that nobody's ever been like, all the high school kickers we're picking suck. Why don't we get a guy who's shown he can kick in college? I desperately hope they don't notice that, uh, that Illinois, while putting together like a team that's about four and a half wins worth has like a top 10 S&P plus special teams unit right now <laughs> and seems to just be making great kickers out of nowhere. Um, so, anyway, the other group... What? Are, do you like the Tide R2? What is this now? Work damn Tide. So, the other great thing was that, see, it's yeah, we... been a while since there was a really good Saban losing his shit gif. Because, I don't know, there was maybe the thought that he mellowed, or maybe he was just winning so much. Yeah, he just won constantly. He just won constantly. I mean, I know but I mean, there hasn't been just like a Nick Saban getting explosively furious on the sideline gif in a long time. Well, he hasn't had to, he hasn't had to put up with Lane Kiffin in a few years now, so that's probably part of it. <laughs> and Gus um, Malzahn provided one for the ages, <laughs> which, you know, it was not just him yelling for that rep, but then, like, he turns away and then has another breakdown. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, uh, I know, buddy. We're by, by trolling Saban into getting a 12-man-on-the-field penalty to basically end the game. Uh, God damn. Gus Malzahn. Uh, to, imagine being an Auburn fan that now has to be like, 
Oh, shit. Now we got a key band. (laughs) Yeah, somehow you're despondent about winning the Iron Bowl. Oh, I know, buddy. We're doing a disrespect of the Tide. I know. I know. It's hard to be a Bama fan, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Elsewhere, Memphis is the new Houston, in my opinion. That's appointment viewing. And as we'll discuss in the conference title preview edition, uh, they get a rematch with Cincinnati next week. So... Kind of dumb to put your two best teams at the end of the season, but I guess you schedule your conference slate out a few years ahead of time, so who knows how it's going to play out. Um, elsewhere, Virginia got the Virginia Tech monkey off their backs, and their reward for that is uh, they are the one that... <laughs> I just picture all of the whichever division they're in teams... Is it Coastal? I think it's Coastal. Yeah. Um, all the Coastal teams, like, huddle together, and they, like, push Virginia out to, like, go, like, bat. basically look at David well, and thing. You realize that, it's, that they're the seventh team to win the Coastal in the last seven years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who... So there's... Does that mean every team has won it? Yes. Okay, that I was going to say there's exactly one that hasn't. <laughs> That's exactly what it means. So I guess it was actually um, just their turn. Virginia, Virginia Tech, yet another uh, one of you know some notable rivalry streaks that have fallen in the last couple of years. You, of course, had the Wisconsin-Minnesota uh, one. You had Florida-Kentucky. Um, maybe someday you'll get Illinois-Northwestern. We've only won three of the last 17. It's nearly as lopsided as Ohio State-Michigan. Joe Burrow. As you mentioned earlier, joined Justin Fields in admitting that he's really not an actual student, that he takes all online classes and that it was cool for him to be able to celebrate with the students because uh, he really only sees them at games. Just one more reminder that the NCAA is a fiction and we shouldn't prop it up. Well, your, eyebrows, your eyebrows shot through your forehead. What's up? We're going we're gonna to wrap this up soonish in the next few minutes here. No, we're done. We'll do the firing thing in the preview. All right, wonderful, because against all odds, the goddamn Illini are making it a game. All right, we'll watch it. Five minutes to go, it's a five-point game. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off-tackle, Empire!